Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church, virtual church. We are so glad that you are with us today. Uh, if, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I do have a, uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, we have been resuming Bible trivia at Debbie's house. And so if you're interested in that, it's today at 1 o'clock. And it's, uh, it sounds like it's Bible bingo. It follows along with our reading plan. And so it's always a great time if you'd like to join us. We're also, last week I mentioned Dinner 8s, so if you'd like to participate in Dinner 8s, go ahead and just uh, email in to Melanie and let her know, and she'll put uh, her your name on, on her list. And next week, um, we have the time change. This is the one that we, that I, or at least I dread, we lose an hour. So our, our clocks next Saturday night spring forward one hour. It does mean that uh, summer is upon us, and we're getting towards the longer days, which I do like. I just don't like that uh, Saturday night time change. All right, so today we are in Galatians. I think I said Galatians chapter 1. We're actually in Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to make a note here so I don't do that again. So we're in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's pray, and we'll get into our passage today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness We thank you for your grace. Uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus uh, paid it all. There is only faith that uh, enables the salvation which you have provided. And so, Father, I pray that as we go through Galatians, that you would help us uh, to understand what grace is and that we would uh, walk in it, we would live by it. Lord, we would share it with others. And Father, we do thank you that our salvation and relationship with you is based solely on the work that Jesus did on the cross. Father, we pray that as we live our lives, that you would help this reality to, to be true in our, in our lives, in our thoughts, in our thinking. Father, we pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of your love and your goodness towards us. And Father, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we ask that you would lead us now And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was not compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren, it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we had in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them, For even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually, effectually worked f- 
for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They also asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. And Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, so we we pick up sort of part two of, of Paul's history. Um, he's he's defending himself. He's defending his authority as an apostle, and and as a result of of his defending his authority, he's ultimately defending the veracity of the gospel, namely that Jesus did the work on the cross, and salvation is received by God's grace alone, not by our works or anything that we can do. It's simply what Jesus did on the cross what he did for us. It's by grace alone we respond by faith. Uh, last week we looked at sort of Paul's former life in Judaism leading up to his conversion. And today we look at his early ministry. So after he spent three years in Arabia, modern day Jordan, uh, sort of, I believe that he was studying the scriptures as he knew them, sort of with a new understanding of who Jesus was and fitting the pieces together. Uh, Then we pick up today. It's sort of a continuation from last week. It's always important to remind ourselves that chapters and verses in the Bible were added there um, by men, by by specifically a a French man in the 1500s, to sort of make locating places in the Bible uh, easier. And so when we come to a new chapter, it's not truly a genuine chapter chapter. It's a continuation. It was all one, one writing, these five chapters or whatever of Galatians. They were all just one, one letter. And so we're, we're picking up from where we were. And so we read in verse 1, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. So as I said already, this follows three years that he went away to Arabia. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, from that point, we're told that he went to Arabia, which is modern-day Jordan. He spent three years there uh, looking at the Scriptures. Then he tells us last week that he returned um, He, he returned uh, to what we believe is modern-day Turkey or Tarshish, his hometown. And he tells us here that he remained there uh, for 14 years before he went up again to Jerusalem. And and so we have to kind of piece together Paul's visits to Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, there are five uh, recorded events where Paul heads to Jerusalem. It wasn't really a, a place where he spent a lot of time during his ministry as an apostle. And so in the book of Acts, we see these five trips. The first is in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 30. If you go to that story and you you look through chapter 9, verses 26 through 30, you see that he came to Jerusalem. The Christians there were a little bit afraid of Paul because of his reputation. And this is many years later. Uh, He had converted for a while. Uh, We're told that Barnabas went with him sort of as an advocate. And last week we see that he spent... 
uh, 15 days with Peter. He didn't meet any of the other apostles, and except for James, Jesus' brother. That was the first visit. Then the second visit is found in Acts chapter 11, verses uh, 27 through 30. This is often referred to as um, the famine visit, that there was uh, a famine happening in Jerusalem. The Gentile church, church took a collection. Paul brings it to Jerusalem. And likely this is the visit uh, to Jerusalem that Paul is referencing here when he says, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Likely this was the famine visit. Then fast forwarding through Acts, we see in Acts chapter 15, which I believe happens after Galatians, is when Paul goes to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem council to, to really hash out with the apostles the things that are, that are happening in Galatians. Namely, how does the Jewish law and Jewish tradition how does that apply uh, to the Gentile believers? Are, are they under obligation to, to fulfill these things? And, and the main point that they were seeing that, that seems to come up is circumcision quite a bit. Uh, that's all worked out in Acts chapter 15. Then in Acts chapter 18, verses 22, uh, after the Jerusalem council, Paul takes Silas and they go on what's known as the second missionary journey. It's where we spent, we met the Thessalonians and uh, all of those, that, that missionary journey. They went out with the good news that they received from the Jerusalem council. And so they, they go about and they, they pass the letter around. They share uh, the, really the wonderful news that the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem apostles, they had indeed endorsed Paul's gospel. They had a letter, and Paul goes around, tells them all about it. At the end of the second missionary journey, he ends up in Jerusalem and gives an account of the, that journey. And then his last and final visit to Jerusalem is the very end of Acts chapter 21 through 23. This is where Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. He's ultimately bound, arrested. He spends a few years in Israel before he makes his way to Rome. And so those are the five visits, just to sort of as an overview of, uh, of Paul's time in Jerusalem was really limited. And so when we read this, and after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. It, it, we, scholars sort of like debate and try to figure out uh, which trip this was. It has to do with the dating of Galatians is sort of important. And so that second one, the famine visit to Jerusalem seems to just make the most sense. If it happened after, if he's referring to Acts 15, which is the third visit of the Jerusalem Council, certainly there would have been more information about the verdict in Jerusalem Council. So it's just most logical, it just makes the most sense contextually that Acts chapter 11 is, is a visit that he is referring to. So he says, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain. And so Paul says when he went up to Jerusalem after 14 years, there was a team that went with him. If you look at the language, it's interesting. So he went with Barnabas, who was his traveling companion was an, as an advocate, and he doesn't say, you know, with Titus or he was a part of the team. It's, 
it says that he was taking Titus along. So Barnabas goes with him. They grab Titus. They bring Titus along. And Titus goes along also because the, the debate that they're having circled around the ministry to the Gentiles. And so Paul brought effectually like a product of his ministry with them so they could evaluate the product that Paul was producing. And so Barnabas goes with them. Titus comes along as sort of a, 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 a model for them to view, to see how the ministry took root in a, in a Gentile's life. Um, Paul says in verse 2, it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were reputation for fear that I might have uh, might be running or had run in vain. And so this revelation, the main thing about this revelation is Paul wasn't called up on the carpet. It wasn't like the, the apostles in Jerusalem said, hey, Paul, we've heard about what you're doing. We need to talk to you. You're out of line, and we need to sort of correct you. Like a, in, the, in the Navy, this would be like a, you know, like a captain's mast or something like that. And Paul says very clearly, I went there because I had a revelation that God stirred in my heart that I needed to go to Jerusalem to sort of make sure that we're all in the same sheet of music and that everything was, you know, copacetic with, with, the, with the leaders of, of the early church. And so he goes there. He wasn't summoned to give an account. This is a safeguard against the rumors that were going around about Paul. And then we see in here that Paul submitted to them. This is such a display of humility uh, to truly... Uh, when you're in authority to submit yourself to somebody else, just even considering the bigger picture things, the Paul's credentials, this guy was a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel. He, he, like, he, he was a Jew of Jews, tribe of Benjamin, all of his pedigree that we read the last uh, couple weeks. And then the apostles, what do we know about them? They're uneducated fishermen. They washed out of the religious training. And so here is the Apostle Paul who, by human standards, has way more authority than these uh, 12 apostles at the time, with Matthias being added there, that he submits to them. What Acts records as being they're uneducated men, they're fishermen, they're not in, in the business of religion, so to speak. And here Paul is the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And in Paul's life, he would have had their respect and he would have forced their submission to him. But here he is submitting to them the gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. So he goes before them, he submits to them his understanding of the gospel and what Jesus did on the behalf of sinners. This is so amazing. Uh, there's such a lesson for us in, in our theology to, to have humility, uh, to speak the truth, but, but ultimately the aim is never to be right. The aim is, like, or to win an argument, the, the aim is to, to like discover what the truth is. There are so many, and within, within evangelical Christianity, there are many Christians, unfortunately, in different categories who who are theologically arrogant 
And, and there's no greater turnoff to me than, like, and it doesn't mean to have deep convictions and the Bible says what it says, but there are areas where, where humility is just so important because none of us are God. None of us have perfect revelation and perfect understanding. The word of God is. And so we, uh, for those of us who take the Bible seriously, we, we need to have humility with one another, deep convictions, firm on the word of God, but but on these finer points that that many Christians can argue about, and it's very easy to get into uh, competing schools of thought that that we be humble with one another. We see this here uh, with Paul. We don't need to have axes to grind with other people. Uh, we our concern is for the truth, and that the word of God goes forward. I I understand that there's tension within the scriptures. There there are things that our our brains can't necessarily fathom. You, you know things like the sovereignty of God and and man's free will. Like how do these coexist? And instead of just being okay with the tension of these two groups, it, it, our tendency is to pick one side or the other, whichever side we're more comfortable with. And so both are true. There's a whole bunch of these these areas in the scripture where, where there, there seems to be conflict or tension and, and we don't necessarily need to, to pick a side. We can understand both to be true. We can have humility with one another. If you're slightly more on the right or left of a particular issue within the banner of evangelical Christianity, uh, we, can, we can be humble with one another and have respect uh, for the other people's view. I love that Paul at this point He'd met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He'd spent three years studying in the desert. He found himself in Tarsus, really his hometown, um, modern-day Turkey. He's ministering for 14 years. He's seen the, the, the fruit of the Lord manifest itself with, with the people that he's reaching. And he gets down in all of this tension from the Judaizers who are coming in and adding to the gospel and as Paul in private with the, the apostles, he says in private to those who are of reputation, he's, he's submitting himself to them out, out of fear or concern that he'd been doing something the wrong way or with the wrong information for 14 years. And people's souls are on the line. This is, this, this is ser- these, these are serious matters. Someone who teaches the Bible should take it very serious. It's, it's, it's something that we should take uh, gravely. Uh, people's souls are literally on the line, not flippantly. And, and I, sometimes things come out of my mouth and I go, oh, that didn't come out right and I have to apologize the next week or correct myself. It's not about me looking good. It's about the Bible being taught in accuracy. And so here, Paul, I just see his his you know, for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain, that he's like, maybe I've been doing this and my teaching is off and he wants to get it corrected. And so he submits to them everything that he's been teaching, everything that he believes. It's almost like a an ordination review board or, you know, su- subjecting his teacher to them, his teaching to these guys and saying, look at my teaching, show me where I'm off or where I've gone astray, or what things do I need to correct. I'm truly submitting myself to you. And then he says in verse 3, in the midst of this, so he's there submitting himself to these leaders. He has Barnabas with him. He's brought along Titus. So not only does he have his doctrine, he has an example of the product of his teaching, Titus. 
And so now he turns his attention to Titus, referring this trip, and he says, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so we're introduced to Titus. There's, there's, there's Timothy, there's like some pastoral epistles, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, these were young men that, that Paul sort of endorsed and trained to take the baton from him after his departure. And so Titus, who was there, Titus, who met with the apostles, I'm sure this was a huge deal for him, that he meets with the apostles. He, he's hearing Paul te- teach about what he taught, and they're probably asking Titus questions about, like, what does he understand from Paul's teaching and just sort of uh, verifying what Paul said. And and certainly the issue of the Jewish law, the, clearly the issue of circumcision uh, came up. And Timothy is, is clearly a, a man who desires to walk with God. And if that meant getting circumcised, he would do it. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He says, through all of this, Titus walked away saying, I don't have to get circumcised. He was fully Greek. There was no need for him to get circumcised. The Jewish people, there was, there was history and tradition. There was cultural sensitivity amongst the people. Um, clearly, in Acts chapter 16, after the Jerusalem Council, when he picks up Timothy, whose mother was a, a Greek, or no, the, I think it was the, uh, the, the Jewish woman. So Timothy's mother was Jewish, and she was a believer, and his father was Greek. So he was sort of bl- a blended family. And Paul says, like they're delivering the news that Greeks don't have to get circumcised. And Paul says to Timothy in Acts chapter 16, listen, we're going to deliver this news but there's so many Jews in this area. They know you're Jewish. Let's go ahead and get you circumcised so we can remove this stumbling block uh, from them. So even then, he's, he's willing to do this. I, uh, this whole conversation this week, about like it's always made me wonder, like, like how was how this such a big issue? Like, how, are they just like doing uh, undercarriage checks on the boys to see if they're circumcised or not? Is this a, a, like a badge of honor that they had patches on their... Like, I'm just kind of like thinking, like how, how, like how, how is the identity of somebody being uncircumcised or not circumcised, how is this even an issue? We can go all day long in our society and not know if an individual is circumcised or uncircumcised. Like this is not... Uh, a point of uh, re- like big debate. I um, at some point when I was wrestling with this, I saw Melanie. I'm like, "Hey, you got a bachelor's in biblical studies? Why don't you do some research for me and see if you can find out anything about like this?" <laughs> so then she texts me a little bit lo- later, and apparently there's a toiletology.com. So there's a whole study about toilets, and this is what she texted me from this website, she says, there were, there were public toilets for the elite as using the bathroom in front of others was a sign of nobility. That's a very odd one, using the bathroom in public. So we know the Greeks were probably a little bit more like the Olympic Games that was in the nude, and so maybe they were just way more exposed than we are. I don't know. 
All I know is that the New Testament speaks of circumcision. Like this is a super big deal. Like this was a point of conflict in the early church. This is not even something that like we are, that's even on our radar uh, as Christians today. But we're told here that through this big debate, Titus, who was apparently uncircumcised, felt no need to be circumcised. And he was willing to be circumcised if that's what he felt that God required of him to be right with God. And so he leaves this meeting with the apostles, with, with, with Paul and Barnabas, and he has, he, has no, he has no desire to do it. Or, or I should change that. I don't think anybody has a desire to be circumcised. He, he has, he, he's not uh, feeling like before God that he needs to be circumcised, which he was totally willing to do. Uh, it wasn't something that God was demanding of him or asking of him. Then verse 4, it, yet it was a concern circumcision, because of the false brothers who secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. So Paul is saying, listen, this whole topic of discussion, it wasn't even an issue. The only reason it became an issue is because there there are these people who are claiming to be believers, and they're not. They're false brothers secretly brought in, so they snuck in to the, the umbrella of Christianity, which I do think this happens all the time within a, a number of cults and those that uh, started out identifying Christians as apostate, but now, a couple hundred years later, they, they're trying to come back into the fold to be mainstream. And so these individuals came in, and they sneaked into spy in their freedom in Christ, that in Christ there was freedom, there was liberty, their relationship with God was based on grace and what Jesus had done for them, his work on the cross, not their own. They spied on their freedom, and then it says that they desired to enslave them, not slavery in the sense of to, you know, to use them for labor in their backyards or, or whatever, but they were, wanted to enslave them by religion, a system of works and do's and don'ts. And if you don't do these things, then you're not going to be right with God. He says they wanted to, they want to enslave us with religion. Our freedom in Christ is so important. The key verse of Galatians is Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he goes on, don't be subjected again to this yoke of slavery, of, of religion. That's not, what, that's not what it's about. And he says that he pushed back in verse 5. He says, but we did not yield in subjection to them. These false brothers who came in to spy out their liberty in Christ, who were trying to enslave them uh, to the religion of the Jews and to the the traditions, not the Bible, the traditions and all of the things that they had come up with. He says, we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour. They came, they made their point. Paul said, no, get out of my face. Absolutely not. Uh, one translation, I think it was J.B. Phillips that said, uh, they, they didn't even yield for an inch. Like They, they gave zero compromise. These false teachers came in and said, you, 
Jesus died for you, yes, but you need to do these things. And Paul says, stop, you are absolutely wrong. And he confronted them and their heresy so that the truth of the gospel would remain with the Gentile believers. It was about defending the truth. We so desire for unity and peace amongst people. We desire for for all of this stuff. Like we don't want to go calling out religions. You know, our our society says, well, all religions are, are the same. It just it's about loving one another and loving God and and it it, it sounds good at, at front, but the Bible makes it clear that not all religions are created equal, that Christianity stands apart and distinct from all others. The the tr- truth is mutually exclusive. You can't have truths that conflict with one another. And so Paul fought back for the truth. The New American Commentary says this, For Paul to have yielded to the illicit demands of those who tried to force circumcision on Titus would have involved a betrayal of the very essence of the good news he had been commissioned to proclaim. And so he said no. And in these last two verses, we see the words freedom and we see the word truth. These two words, freedom and truth, are key words throughout Galatians. Paul is going to continue to expand upon our freedom in Christ and the truth of the gospel. Verse 6, Paul expands. From those who were of considerable repute, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. Well, those who were of repute contributed nothing to me. So there's a parenthetical statement in the beginning. He says, concerning those who were of considerable repute, meaning the apostles, Peter, James, John, the others who walked with Jesus, who were the original disciple or apostles. He said, as he submitted to them, these men of considerable repute, these guys who had a great reputation, who had all of the honor of the early church, who were the leaders, who God set apart to to bring about this new era of the Christian church, He says, well, those who were of repute contributed nothing to me, meaning that when he submitted his gospel to them, when he subjected himself to them, when he thought he was running in vain, they basically looked at him and they said, you're good to go, Paul. That's exactly what we're teaching. There's no difference. We don't have to make any correction. If this was an examination, he got 100%. There was no fine tweaking to say, hey, well, if you want me to nitpick a little bit, I would probably... That they added nothing. And then in the parenthetical statement, Paul is saying, kind of back to what verse was it? I think it was a verse 10 of chapter 1 where Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So when Paul came to Christ and he converted, he used to strive after pleasing men. He doesn't try to please men. He cares about pleasing God alone, that he truly lived for an audience of one. But in living for this audience of one, he recognized that God had placed sort of a a structure of authority over him. But he says, what they were makes no difference to me. He wasn't starstruck 
over the apostles. He says, God shows no favoritism. So while they walked with Jesus, there's no favoritism. He respects their authority, but he said, listen, these are the guys that you all look up to. These are the guys that the Judaizers are claiming are making these, these statements, uh, sort of agreeing with them. He said, none of it is true. They, they, they added nothing to me. Uh, J.B. Phillips, in his translation, he says this on this verse. And as far as the leaders of the conference were concerned, I neither know nor care what their exact position was. God was not impressed with a man's office. They had nothing to add to my gospel. They gave him the thumbs up. You're good to go, Paul. He was good with the apostles. He was good with their teaching. There was no distinction between their teaching and his teaching. In verse 7, he says, but on the contrary, there was, no, there was not conflict between our teaching. He says, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, so these men of repute, Peter, John, James, as they look at Paul and they see what God is doing there, he says, seeing that I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Greeks, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who was at work in Peter and his apostleship to to the circumcised was at work in me also to the Gentiles. He says, they recognized that it was the same God, the same spirit that was within Peter working for the Jews, the same Spirit of God was within Paul working with the Gentiles. Uh, and recognizing, verse 9, the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This, this is powerful. He says, they've given us the right hand of fellowship. I keep thinking about the right hand. Like when we make business deals or we used to, like we shake one another's hand, the right hand we shake, there's a deal, there's a bond. When I do weddings and the father brings the bride forward, there's this, don't just let go of your daughter's hand. You're placing her hand into his hand and they're holding one another, and, they, and, and it's symbolic, saying, the Father, I'm giving my blessing. I'm giving from my hand to your hand. I am blessing this union before it goes through. They were of one accord. They recognized the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the mission. These pillars of the early church were endorsing Paul and credentially, you are one of us, and you have the same authority that we do. It reminds me of the saying, in essentials, we have unity. They were unified over the essentials. In non-essentials, there's liberty. In all things, charity, which means love. They were united. This is a beautiful picture of, of them sort of massaging these two cultures together. Jew, Gentile, women, male, slave, free men. All of these groups united through Christ, we may look different. We may have different, uh, like, cultural backgrounds. We might be in different social, economic stratas in our lives, but we are one in Christ. This is huge. Paul says, the only thing they asked me to do was to remember the poor. The, The very thing I was 
eager to do. He's like, the one thing they tacked in there, which had nothing to do with our conversation, was to remember the poor. And Paul's like, of, of course, like, I want to remember the poor. poor. Uh, like, I can't help but to think of, like, them throwing this out to Paul, like, if they were judging Paul, you know, because in the context, the 12 were sort of uneducated fishermen, sort of blue-collar guys. Here's Paul. We know that he's from a wealthy family. He was very well-to-do. And they're kind of saying, hey, don't forget about the poor, like, and, and Paul says, I was eager to do this very thing. And I think the point here is that the gospel is for all people. It's not just for the elite. There's not segregation within the church. We don't check your W-2s and how much you made. Uh, we don't judge people on the clothes they're wearing or how they look. One of the things that I really enjoy, like, like, one of the sort of the scary things about COVID was sort of the whole like like offering. We're a faith-based organization. During every service, we would take an offering. And so early on, it's like, oh, man, how do we handle this? Like, you know, like, how, and it's crazy to me. Like, like, one of the things that I've actually really appreciated through going through COVID is we haven't had an offering in, in, a, in a year. Like, in person, there's no offering. Like, the format in person is exactly... What happens online? We sing our songs, four songs. I get up and we preach. There's no announcements. There's no offering. It's very streamlined. It's it's the the essence of of like what is the church? And it's been a year that we've not had an offering, and it's it's kind of cool. Like it's it's harder to give now because you have to initiate. You have to like if you contribute and participate in our body, like, first off, thank you. Like, I, I appreciate it. Like, we haven't skipped a beat um, budget-wise, so I'm very aware and grateful for our body that contributes and, and, and you know, the things around here get taken care of. Payroll has taken care of. Like, it's beautiful, but there's no offering. It's people give because they want to give, and they find the way of how how they give. It's 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 beautiful, and and I and I, it's beautiful partially because as people come and they don't know the church, they don't know the gospel. There there's not like an awkward time of bags going around, and it, it's not a part of our, our worship thing. So so there's no awkward time for, for money, even though stewardship is super important within the Bible and for those who follow Christ. I also think of Revelation chapter 2, the church in Ephesus, as they were getting sort of scolded by the Lord. In Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5, Jesus says to them, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from the place unless you repent. There was a warning from Paul as he went through Ephesus his last time. He told them that there are going to be people coming in with bad doctrine, like wolves trying to, to delude and to steer the church astray. And he gives them like a, you need to stand firm. Well, the church stood firm on doctrine. But, but as they progressed through their lives, they focused on doctrine, but they sort of lost relationship with Jesus. They lost touch with the love of people. And so I think what the apostles are telling Paul that as he goes out and he defends these doctrines, these key truths, he says, focus on track doctrine, but also practice matters. How your doctrine plays out matters. And so they were to live it out. 
Okay, as we wrap up today, looking at this section, again, this is, a, this is an area that there's, it's important. It, 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 I like it because it's sort of a look, sort of under the hood of Paul's life and, and his, uh, how he came to Christ, how he came into his position. These are areas where we really learn about the Apostle Paul. And in this section, some things I learned from the Apostle Paul in his life is we need humility. Like Paul was totally humble as he subjected himself to the leaders of the church. We as Christians, we need to have humility. In Philippians 2, 5, we're told, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. And then from there, he begins to go to the crucifixion story that Jesus being God came to earth as a man. He humbled himself and he went to the cross for us. So if our Lord as God can humble himself in this way, we as his children, we should be able to be humble and to submit ourselves uh, to the authorities that are over us, to one another, and of course to our Lord. In this section, I do see that the truth matters. Like we, the, the truth absolutely matters. Jesus made it clear that there's only one way to the Father. He says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so while we want to be a loving people, there, there's no place for compromise as it relates to the truth. And ultimately in this section, we see that Paul didn't rest in defending the gospel. The gospel was defended to the very end, he ultimately gave his life defending the gospel. And he writes in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And so the quote I read a couple, for the last couple of weeks about the guy, I don't have it before me, but I, I, I can't shake the words. We bring nothing to the table except our sin with God. Jesus paid it all for us, all to him we owe. If you want to get right with God, it's a matter of responding by faith. You are placed whole before God by his grace alone through the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so my prayer is that each of us would become uh, students of the gospel, that we would understand grace, that we would live in grace, that we would defend grace, and that we would walk humbly with our God all the days of our life. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I look forward to, to seeing you hopefully soon. And if not, I'll just see you on the video next week. Uh, have a great week. God bless you all. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to learn from Paul's life and example uh, that we would be good stewards of the gospel. Father, I pray for those that maybe don't have clarity on their salvation, that you would give them insight. Lord, help them to have assurance of their salvation in Christ. We pray that you would help us to know what it means that Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Uh, Father, we are so indebted to you. We pray, Father, that you would have your will in our lives uh, this week. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a great week. See you guys next week.